Runoff, a crime novel about election fraud, evokes a curious timelessness of classic detective fiction. A noir gem, says Mystery Scene Magazine. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 24 Strange Bedfellows I got scooped up by the cops almost immediately after the paramedics arrived, but made Boniker promise to contact Chris before I was frog-marched to the elevator in handcuffs. Two hours later, the handcuffs were gone, but not the black feeling of despair that rebounded over me when I stepped through the sliding glass doors of the Parnassus Hospital emergency room. I stood in the entryway clutching an old scarf of Gretchen's like a lab monkey clinging to a piece of shag carpet. A male nurse in blue scrubbies brushed my elbow going by and knocked me out of it. I pocketed the scarf and hurried into the waiting room. A pile of well-used wooden toys in a sort of virtual sandbox was at the center of the room. Chris sat in the middle of it with a Hispanic five-year-old in bib overalls and a plaid newsboy cap. They had put a chipped wooden turkey into a wooden stove and oven combination and were busy setting the cooking temperature on an oversized dial. The kid kept spinning it all the way to 500, but Chris was patiently dialing it back each time. I asked, too many chefs in the kitchen? Chris muttered a quick, gotta go, to his friend and jumped up. The kid ignored him and spun the dial back to the maximum. He's no chef, Chris said to me, more of a barbecuer. Up close, I could see his face was pale and his eyes were red-rimmed. How is she? Okay, I mean, well, they haven't really told me. What have they said? He led me by the sleeve to a pair of hard plastic chairs by a yellowing ficus. Gretchen had already been admitted by the time I showed up. There was no one I could ask but the admitting nurse. She didn't know anything and didn't want to leave her station, but I pestered her so much she finally went back to check. At least I assumed she checked. When she came back, she had a funny look on her face. She said Gretchen was with a trauma surgeon and it was fortunate she got to the hospital as quickly as she did. That doesn't sound good at all, Chris. How could you possibly characterize that as okay? I don't know. I guess I was... Jesus, August, where have you been? I've been here all by myself. I didn't know what to do. He put his head into his hands and made little peeping noises, punctuated by violent shrugs of his shoulders. He was crying. The mother of the Hispanic kid glanced up from her magazine with a stony expression. I almost ripped the magazine from her hands and threw it across the room. Instead, I pulled my chair closer to Chris and squeezed the back of his neck. Sorry, you did fine. There was nothing to do but wait. What happened to Boniker? He left. He left? They brought him out in a wheelchair, but he didn't seem to need it. He had them call a cab and he left. What the hell? Did you talk to him? Chris looked up at me, raw red tracks going down either cheek. 
He sniffed and dabbed at the tears with the back of his hand. Yes, of course. He said those Chinese mobsters scared the hell out of him and he was leaving town, especially since... Especially since what? Especially since you threatened to kill the head guy. I'm going to do more than threaten. Chris blinked at me. I could tell he wanted to say something in response, but knew better than to start with me now. You didn't answer my question, he said quietly. Where have I been? I've been locked in a small room with Lieutenant Kittredge, and believe me, it wasn't pleasant. At least you had something to do. Besides baking wooden turkeys? He smirked through the tears. Yes, besides that. I take it he let you go without charges. He did, but that wasn't his original idea. I pretty much came clean with him. Told him about the cleavers and the lees going missing. Gave him most of the details on the election investigation. Even gave him one of the audit trails I got hold of. But I didn't give him any reason to think the dragon lady was doing business with Wu. And I didn't tell him about being attacked at the protest in the mission. So he thinks Wu is going after the Lees because... I told him what I believe now. The dragon lady must have found out something about Wu's involvement in fixing the election, confronted him with it, and then backed off when he tried to kidnap Lisa. Then she changed her mind, or he decided he couldn't trust her to lay off, and he went after both of us to stop it from coming out. And Gretchen got in the way. I swallowed. Yes. Chris pulled out a set of keys from his back pocket and held them out. Boniker said to give you his keys from the office. He wants you to pack up his stuff and mail it to him. I started to curse, but Chris put up his other hand. You didn't let me finish before. Apart from the fact he was leaving town, the other thing he told me was he stepped into the path of the first bullet. He said Gretchen had mouthed off to the gunman when they asked for you, and when it was clear they were going to shoot her, he dove in front of her. The bullet hit his hand. I took the keys. Boniker? Yes, Boniker. He said he was too frightened to get off the floor after that. He said he was sorry. I jiggled the keys and thought about Boniker sacrificing himself for somebody else. A pair of Italian loafers appeared on the edge of my peripheral vision. I looked up to see a soap opera casting director's idea of a hospital doctor. He was wearing an improbably crisp white jacket with a black-and-white patterned tie, knotted in a perfect half-Windsor under his outthrust chin. His features were tanned, and I would have said sculpted, but even the marble Michelangelo used for David had flaws, and there weren't any on this guy. His longish brown hair was tousled in a not-quite-haphazard way, and his eyes were big and bright and burning mad. His name was stitched in script on his jacket, but I didn't need to read it to know he was Dennis Drent, urologist. I recognized him from the photo on Gretchen's desk, her boyfriend. This is all your fault. His voice was high-pitched and nasally. I told her something like this would happen if she stayed working there. I stood to look him in the eye. He had a couple inches on me, but I probably outweighed him by 30 pounds. Chris jumped up and tried to wedge himself between us. I pushed him gently to one side. It's okay, Chris, I said. He's right. It is my fault. Then why didn't you do anything to prevent it? 
I didn't see it coming. I should have, but I didn't. I'm sorry. I'd give anything for it to be me instead of Gretchen. Drentz stared at me for a long moment. I'd never met him, but he surely knew that Gretchen and I had been engaged, and it was even possible she had told him about the urologist jokes Boniker and I cracked around the office. I could imagine the wheels that were turning in his head. Everything I've heard tells me you're a reckless, irresponsible loser, he said when the wheels stopped. And you don't even pay her a competitive salary. Not that you can afford it on the piddly stream of revenue you bring in. It's not safe for her to stay there. I'm going to insist that she find another job when she recovers. I felt Chris tromp on my toe. He was worried I'd find piddly stream too hard to resist, but I was more interested in something else the doctor had said. All right, that might be the best thing. But you mentioned her recovery. We haven't heard anything. Is she going to be okay? Drentz stuck out his chest. I've been supervising her care personally. I recruited my colleague, Dr. Schneider, one of the best trauma surgeons in the Bay Area, to attend to her. This was tough slogging. And what does Dr. Schneider say? Both he and I feel she'll make a complete recovery. Chris squealed and wrapped me in a bear hug. I hugged back. It was the first time I'd embraced a man with such passion, but I had to admit I found it emotionally satisfying. Drent narrowed his eyes at us, and I was pretty sure he'd added another item to his list of reckless, irresponsible, and poor. Is she awake? Chris asked. Can we see her? No, you may not. She's going to be in the critical care unit for quite a while. The bullet struck one of her ribs, broke it, and lodged in her right lung. The lung collapsed and she lost a fair amount of blood. But fortunately, no major arteries were damaged. She tolerated the repair surgery well. What she needs now is time to recuperate. Time to recuperate without unnecessary distractions. Chris and I glanced at each other to remind ourselves what unnecessary distractions looked like. Okay, said Chris. We understand, but please tell her we love her and we're pulling for her quick recovery. Yes, please, I said. Durant gave a curt nod, more like he was marking a completed task than acknowledging the request. That's done then. I suggest you go home. As I said, she won't be seeing visitors for some time. He turned and almost ran through the admitting doors into the emergency room. Piddly streams, I said in a fair imitation of Drent's voice after the doors closed behind him. That's where I generate my revenue. Chris flopped back into his chair. Hush up. She needs him more than she needs us. And she's going to be okay. That's the important thing. You're right, I said and sat down. But someday you'll have to explain what she sees in him. I think it's more what she didn't see in you, August. I'm glad we're having this talk. Never mind that. What are you going to do now? Shouldn't you be worrying about the one woman you still have a chance with? You mean Lisa. Of course I'm worried about her. And you still think the best way to help her is a jihad against Wu? Is this a trick question? Wu is the one who went after her and her mother, the one who shot Gretchen. Who else would I go after? 
Greenhouse gas emitters? You might as well for all the good it will do. You say Wu is part of an international triad. He's probably already left the country. You'll never get near him. In fact, it's more likely he'll send reinforcements to finish the job on you than the other way around. The dragon lady didn't blow town for nothing. She knows the score. I rested my elbows on my knees and stared down at the hospital's fetching, high-traffic, cranberry berber. Did you forget what just happened? Wu almost killed Gretchen and Boniker. And why is that? Probably because you or the dragon lady were close to finding out about his involvement in the election rigging. Your best bet is to find the connection. I know I said he was involved, but the only person we can tie to any real hanky-panky is this kid Roadrunner. I explained about getting the auto trails from Roadrunner in the abandoned garage and finished with, but I can't see Wu and Roadrunner working together. Politics make strange bedfellows. I looked back up at him. Well, you would know something about strange bedfellows. Strange is different, not the same. By that definition, you're the one sleeping with strange people. You remember you asked me to find Guyberger's address. Yes. Well, I found it. And it seems to me that Guyberger would be the perfect sort of bedfellow for Wu. My cell phone went off in my pocket. The caller was in the 415 area code, but I didn't recognize the number. I flipped open the phone and was treated to a brisk, Reardon? Yeah? It's Kittredge. Shut up and listen. He talked for a breathless 90 seconds. I asked him one question. He answered and then hung up in my ear. Chris frowned over me. What was that about? Lieutenant Kittredge was doing his best to make a perfect day even better. He said that two short men wearing dark clothes and masks rushed the emergency room at Mount Zion Hospital, the hospital where they took the other Chinese guy from my office. They found his bed in critical care and put two slugs in the base of his skull. Kittredge figures Wu is getting rid of witnesses. He suggested I consider protective custody. My God! What about Gretchen? He's going to put a 24-hour guard on her. But since she can't testify against Wu, there's probably little risk. There's more, though. He said they checked one of the signatures on the audit trail I gave him, and it was faked. So Roadrunner had a faked roll from a Chinatown precinct, and not a real one. Maybe he was going to substitute it for the real ones and didn't get a chance. Chris shivered and hugged himself. There goes your only solid lead. What do you think about my idea about Guyberger now? I think you better give me his damn address. You have been listening to Runoff, a book hard-boiled great James Crumley described as a smart, funny, spooky, often touching, always entertaining romp. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. <laughs>